You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Jacob Tyree serves as a training coordinator for Move United, overseeing the management of the VA Adaptive Sports Training Grant-funded programs. He brings with him a vast amount of experience in the adaptive sports space as an athlete, a coach, and a sport professional. Jake played collegiate wheelchair basketball at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He has international coaching experience in Japan as well as Peru and founded the Roanoke Stars Wheelchair Basketball Program in Virginia. Let's catch up with him now. So, Jacob, I'm glad that we're able to, to chat today. We've had a, a couple of Move United colleagues on as guests. So thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I thought we would just start by talking about, you know, I, I always am interested in how people get into sports. And uh, so growing up, how did you get into sports and what sports did you play? Yeah, so um, I, I grew up able-bodied, um, wasn't disabled till my cancer situation when I was found it when I was nine, um, ultimately surgery left me paralyzed at 10, um, but grew up and was very athletic family. Um, I have a younger brother who's only 17 months apart from me. Um, so we grew up in Southwestern Virginia where it's a mile to the next house. So you better be pretty friendly with your brother. Otherwise you don't have a whole lot of friends. Um, and him and I, we would just go out in the backyard and we'd throw baseball or football. Um, and I ended up playing pitcher. I was left-handed. Um, so he would be a catcher for me. We'd set up the, the pitching machine. Um, my dad was our baseball coach for little league. So it worked out nicely. Anytime he rented the equipment for the team, it was back at our house with us. So, um, grew up very gifted with base with baseball. Um, ironically now, you know, in me as a wheelchair basketball player, I was awful at able body basketball. I, I couldn't dribble. Um, maybe it was the whole moving your legs and hands at the same time that I couldn't do. And I only have half of that to worry about, but, um, yeah, just a very active, uh, young guy in sports. And then obviously once, uh, the cancer situation hit your life changes and you're just like, well, how do you even begin to move forward with what, what your new life looks like? And not knowing Southwestern Virginia, like where even are adaptive sports, how do you get involved in that? And so luckily, um, the Charlottesville Cardinals, which basketball team came out, it was a, uh, two or three of the guys from their program, um, Tom Vandiver and Brandon Rush, who both of them still play today. And I've had the luxury of being able to play with them since I graduated college, which was really cool. Um, but they came out and they brought some basketball chairs to the little rec gym inside the long-term rehab hospital. And basically just said, Hey, like we're here, we're here to provide access. If you want to hop in a sports chair, it gives you a different perspective. It's very different from the chairs that you're using around the hospital. Um, but they also made sure that every one of the patients knew that just because they were providing basketball chairs doesn't mean they had to play butcher basketball. It was just the tight knit community of adaptive sports. Um, they wanted to ensure that they could get people connected to the right, the right contacts. So if they wanted to go snow skiing, they could get them out to, to snowshoe, um, or to wintergreen and get, get connections with that type of equipment. If they want to go, um, uh, play tennis, they want to just go fishing. Like they, they would connect you to the right people. So, 
Um, that's really where I got started. And then ultimately there wasn't a uh, junior program in the area. So they got us the contact for Dave Kiley, um, which I'm sure you have interviewed many times or been involved with um, down in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that was the closest program to us. So that was three and a half hours away. Um, and luckily I was on top of my grades as I got older from middle school into high school. And they said, if this is something you really want to pursue, as long as you keep your grades up, um, we'll, we'll make the financial commitment. So um, very fortunate that I was able to do the academic side and that our family also was financially supported enough to, to be able to make that endeavor. And um, here we are many years later and many trips and many miles behind me. You can talk definitely about the many miles, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I know obviously you were young, but at nine, did, did you... Uh, how, how did you interpret, uh, obviously, uh, the, the disability that, that cancer, uh, you know, brought? I mean, did you, did you think that, you know, you never play sports again or, or what was that? What, what kind of like mentality like? Yeah, it's a great question. So obviously nine, like you don't, there's a lot in the world you don't know, but you think, you know, uh -huh. um, but I still knew that there were adaptive sports. And then of course with Tom and Brandon coming out to the gym and starting to like really talk about all the opportunities that exist out there was really, really big. Um, I really wasn't full into basketball when they came out. Obviously I was still new to it, but I was like, no, like baseball is my love. It's it's that's like, I would want to do that. But um, weirdly enough, even at nine years old, I knew that, any type of an adaptive baseball program because of it's, it's a different sport. Although what's your basketball is still basketball. It's still a very different sport than able body basketball. And I was able to take that into consideration and knowing what I loved about able body basketball or able body baseball wasn't going to transfer directly into um, to wheelchair baseball or softball. So uh, there's also wasn't a team relatively close by for me to really even pursue that as an option. But um, I think that's really what kind of pushed me more towards the basketball side of things is I like the team sports um, way more than the individual sports at the time. And it was, it was a hard decision. And um, actually the very first adaptive sport that I tried was snow ski and we went up to, to snowshoe and ended up, they, you know, I'm a T6 complete, so I have no core function. Um, but very aware of my body, very balanced for someone with no core function. Um, and they threw me on uh, a bi ski to start with tether. And then after like an hour of that, they're like, we need to put you on a monoski after lunch and threw me on that. And then by the end of the day, they basically were just holding a tether because their regulation stated that they couldn't let me off yet. Um, <laughs> but the next morning they were like, you, you do one or two trips down. And if you're feeling good, we'll take you off. And I was off and on my own. Um, and then just had never gone snow skiing since then until this last February. Uh, I loved it. I had an absolute blast. We grew up on the lake. So like skiing, water skiing, that felt the same as on snow. It was just, you know, finding your balance and what works. Um, but with that, and then of course, knowing DK, big snow skier as well. So just like knowing how cool it is to have this this guy come into your life and expose you to not just the sport that he's coaching, but be like, dude, there's all these other things that you can do even on a non-competitive level and still love it. Um, 
So it took a couple trips to go down to, to Charlotte to really be like, yeah, I think, I think this is what I want to do. And of course you start to meet more people with disabilities and like understand you're not just the only one. And um, although each of our experiences are, are different, there's still that underlying connection of what our overall life experiences and struggles that we have to overcome are like. Um, and we can talk about that in an open manner. And so that was really, really big for me as a kid growing up with a disability, but also um, what was really cool is all the parents while we were practicing would stay out in the lobby and they would talk as parents of people with disabilities. So they could talk about their medical expenses and what mm -hmm. they're dealing with that and how they're trying to overcome or they're battling their school system to allow their, their kid to be able to travel and have excused absences when they wouldn't allow. So um, it was just really cool to have that whole family feel to a sport, um, which you obviously had as an able-bodied athlete growing up. And so ultimately that's, that's kind of where I, where I ended up. And, and you said two things that really uh, was interesting that I want to have follow-up questions on first. Why, if you loved skiing, why did it take you so long to go back? To ski? <laughs> to I don't, I really don't know. I think part of it is, you know, Virginia, um, Climate wise, we have a very short window of good snow and I had been a, a little bit on the, um, they'd blown some snow and I just, even as a kid, I was like, this is just not, not the same as the ones that had nice, good snow. Um, and so that, and then I just, you know, it was a three and a half, four hour drive to go up skiing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was a good little haul, but obviously I was doing the same for basketball. So I don't know. I don't know why I, um, I guess it was a little bit different when I'm meeting a bunch of other people who are also making the commitment to drive four hours, um, <laughs> versus me doing it on my own. But I, I got back in it in February and I was like, I need to do way more of this. So I'm definitely going to utilize our connections with work and, well, and then well, that, and, you, and you get to uh, ski in, in Breckenridge in December. Yeah, I, I'm so looking forward to that. <laughs> And the other the other question that that this was kind of a follow up question was, uh, so obviously the the Charlottesville guys came out. Why why did you make the trek to Charlotte versus Charlottesville to play? So Charlottesville only had adult teams. Um, oh. They did not have a junior program. So there was a junior program up in the D.C. area, and then Charlotte. So Charlotte was like three and a half ish hours, depending on traffic, and then to the other side of DC for practice was a little over four. So saved a little bit of time. Um, right. And then just the connections that we had with, with Dave Kiley and um, my Godsey down there, he was at the time, the assistant coach. Um, so just, just that whole family feel, we felt like it was a, a better fit for us, but um, I did at the start practice. Um, so there was a Roanoke team, which is more from, mm -hmm. uh, there was a Roanoke team in the eighties and nineties was kind of didn't have a whole lot of people to support it. So if one or two left the area or stopped playing, the team kind of fell apart and would get absorbed into Charlottesville because it's only two hours away. Um, so they were kind of in this in-between of they didn't quite have enough players in Roanoke to be a full team, but they still played with Charlottesville. Um, so I actually used to go down to the armory and they would throw me in a chair that was eight sizes too big for me. And um, But they were really cool. And it, it really worked on my fundamentals, like, ignore the fact of shooting. They're like, so much of what your basketball is all about chair position and chair mechanics. And they would just work on my, my pushing. They would work on 
me setting a really solid pick on somebody and doing a pick and roll and um, just kind of worked my way up from there. And then obviously when I made the commitment and get on to Charlotte, everything just kind of took off. So being in Southwest Virginia, you're, you're, you were in one of those areas that just, you know, kind of was an adaptive sports desert and it's some, in some sense, and you know, there are a lot of individuals that have to make a two, a three, a four hour trek to play sport, particularly at a competitive level, right. If they, if they want to stay at the competitive level and, and do you, uh, do you see that has that changed even just in the time that you started playing? Um, so there's definitely people in the area who are interested in adaptive sports. Um, it is definitely a desert for opportunities. Um, after college, I moved back home to be closer to family. I had uh, both of my grandparents, my where they were still alive, health-wise weren't doing super great. So I just wanted to, to be closer to them and spend time with them while I could. Um, and while I was back there, like I started playing with the Charlottesville Cardinals, like I had mentioned, and mm-hmm. that was the closest adult program. And um, it was hard. Like, I, I mean, I'm now paying for everything instead of my parents making those big treks and um, pay for gas and mileage to go up for two hours. And that's the beginning. You have to get up early because it's on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I'm spending one of my two days off from work just to drive up for a practice. And that's the majority of my day. I'm exhausted. And um, so I was just like, why, why is there nothing here? Like, why is there nothing in Roanoke? So um, I actually started up the Roanoke Stars Wheelchair Basketball Program um, through our local independent living center. And so Blue Ridge Independent Living allowed us to be a sub-branch underneath them um, mm. and work in tandem with their existing um, nonprofit status. So we we started using their network to reach to do an outreach for some of our events. Um, we started up something we called No Dunking Allowed because if you're in a wheelchair, you obviously can't dunk. Um, so we thought it was just kind of a punny name, but it was just a, a way to get the community involved and aware that adaptive sports exist and that the opportunities are in Southwestern Virginia. Um, in the first year we did it, they, Karen, the, the director of, um, independent living in the area, she said, she's like, look, I am super excited to have new young people involved in this space and advocacy and like really trying hard but I don't want you to get your hopes up if you only have 10 to 15 people show up. And I was like, I appreciate you saying that, but I'm, I'm hopeful that we have a higher turnout. Um, we had over 200 people come out and she was absolutely blown away. She was just like, what, what did you do? Like we have tried this for years and had no, nowhere close to the success. And we had people coming from Richmond. We had people from the other side of Bristol. We had people like leading over down into Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Um, so like we we hit the right network whatever we did and it was just a way that we could um we brought a bunch of basketball chairs so people could hop in and we had stuff for kids all the way up to, to larger adults um it wasn't a competitive event whatsoever but we had different stations that they could work on like dribbling and the chair movement and then once they felt a little bit more comfortable there's like a five on five continuous game that would happen and i would just go in and I'd be like hey you've been playing for 20 minutes you're out and throw somebody else in so it was a really, really cool opportunity to just kind of gain exposure and get the media out and get newspaper articles written. And um, also knowing from my experience of being interviewed over the years and the disability perspective that gets portrayed in the media, mm-hmm. I narrated um, and directed the path that the questions were asked. So if they were very much leading questions to like, oh, like, what's your 
what's your sad story of like, how did you, like, why are you in a wheelchair and focus on disability rather than, no, this is about sport access for a competitive pipeline in the area. Um, I would just be a politician with my answers and completely ignore what they asked and just answer it with my own things. Um, and it was really cool too, to see how different media groups would see that and be, and, and like ahead of time, I would communicate with them like, look, this is the direction that I think you need to focus on for this story. And you're going to get a lot more attention and good feedback rather than just, oh, you got a couple likes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the, the area is, is a desert and obviously I, I've just moved up to Maryland. Um, so sadly I am, am leaving the program behind, um, but there is another nonprofit in the area called Wheel Love that I was heavily involved with. And they are a group of guys um, and ladies who got together. They got tired of just talking about disability. Like there was a lot of support groups where you just got together in a circle and you talk about your life, which is great. And people need those outlets. Um, but they they don't care. They're just like, let's just go do something. And so they'll go snow skiing and we'll go water skiing. They do a couple of water skiing events every year at Smith Mountain Lake. And um, I'm actually meeting them this weekend to, um, well, I guess past weekend now since this by the time this comes out um, to discuss the changeover from the Roanoke Stars program as well as some of the chairs that we were able to afford through our fundraising so that way those chairs and equipment still stays within the southwestern Virginia area to provide that access. Nice, nice. And you're close enough. You could still do occasional, you know, things with them if you want to, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I plan on it. <laughs> And so you got to go down and play in Charlotte uh, for the for the youth division and uh, and play under DK, you know, the amazing Dave Kiley. And uh, uh, when did you realize that you know this is something that you you really wanted wanted to do competitively? Um, I mean, I had the itch, like as as I said earlier, like growing up with with able body sports. That's part of your life. That's part of who you are. So. I wasn't going to let just the disability factor take that away. Um, and I was like, I can still do sports. It doesn't matter that I'm in a chair. And so a super competitive family, even if we're just playing cards at dinner kind of thing. So um, I don't know that it was ever a decision of wanting to do it competitively. It was just like, well, of course I'm going to do it competitively. Um, <laughs> it was just finding which sport I wanted to, to choose. Uh, yeah. So obviously with DK and like our junior program, um, we, we didn't have a lot of high level function players. We were mostly class ones and twos. Um, but we were very quick and with DK's coaching, obviously very fundamentally strong. Um, we ended up winning the junior nationals in 2009. Um, but with that, because of junior opportunities and being able to travel being limited, DK actually formed a, a D3 program. It was him, um, one or two other D3 adults from the area. And then it was just a bunch of our junior players. Hmm. And so it was really cool. Like, not only did I have him as a coach, but I actually was able to say that I have played with DK uh -huh. and seeing that side of him was very, very different than what you see of him as a coach, but, um, got many, many stories that I can provide you at a later <laughs> time on that, but it was, off, it was off really the record, cool. Off the record. <laughs> And, and and so the other uh, other interesting thing I'm I'm always I like to share just because I know there are a lot of youth athletes out there that you know are trying to figure out what their next step is in college. So how did you decide uh, one where to go to college and and the, the opportunity to play at a collegiate level? 
Yeah, I think that's really cool seeing how the sport has progressed and how adaptive sports in general have continued to mm-hmm. grow to offer um, higher access from being going back to your last question of being like the competitive. Why, when did I choose to be a competitive sport with Witcher basketball? Um, I saw college as an opportunity to continue that competitive pipeline. Um, and that's really kind of what it's shifted and turning into is if you wanted to play for Team USA for basketball, you have to go to college. You have to have that higher level coaching and the continual training of five days a week, plus your weekend travels and working out three plus days a week and your individual skills. And um, you're not going to get that training currently in the United States without going through a collegiate program. So also free college, potentially, that's awesome. So I, uh, it, yeah, like I said, we won junior nationals in 2009. So while we were there, obviously the collegiate programs had representatives or the coaches were there. Um, so I talked to, to Mike Frogley at Illinois. I talked to Ron Likens at Mizzou. Um, and then Ford was about to take over. It was miles at the time at, at Alabama. Um, but there's, they were kind of, he was about to go over to the UK kind of thing. And, um, I believe that that was his situation, but Alabama already had two class ones. Um, so they're very interested, but didn't have any financial opportunities since those scholarships were already taken by existing players. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron and frog were, were the two battles. And so Illinois was a reach school in terms of the academic side. Um, I really was pursuing computer science as a major, and I wanted to minor in communications. Um, Mizzou, I couldn't minor in communications, but they still had a good computer science program. Um, so that was at the time, like one of the considering factors, but Illinois for computer science at the time was number two in the nation behind MIT. So very, very high level computer science. And I'm coming from the middle of the backwoods, Roanoke, Virginia, that we didn't even have a computer science class. So I had Luckily, the IT background, and it was actually nationally certified as a computer and a network technician, graduating high school through classes that I took, oh, but cool. that had no, no programming behind it. That's all hardware, troubleshooting, maintenance, and repairs. Um, so I had the, the hardware side, but I didn't have any really existing software side. And still to want to go into that was what I originally thought. Um yeah, one of the hardest phone calls I've ever had in my life was calling Ron to tell him that I was deciding to go to Illinois over, over Mizzou. And um, obviously with him being the USA coach as well, that's you're just like, am I shooting myself in the foot with this as well kind of thing? And right. um, But no, Ron, Ron was phenomenal in, in handling that situation. And um, even afterwards, we'd always be like, so are you sure you don't want to transfer? And um, but it, it was great. It was Mizzou is an incredible campus. I love love everything about their program, and um, ended up having a, a distant cousin actually go to Mizzou, and so he would come out to our basketball games whenever we'd play against each other. But uh, yeah, ultimately went to University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign for four years, and had um, Michael Frogley as my coach for three of those, and then Matt Bushy um, transitioned the fourth year. So, and and um, just out out of college, what was what were your thinking in terms of like, you know, Team USA and 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 uh, your interest in in pursuing that? So Frog was actually the big proponent in pushing me to do that, as any great coach would do. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to apply for the under 23 team, um, which I ended up making in 2013. But it was cool too, because we had a couple other guys trying out on the team. So we were able to all hop in a car together and shove as many chairs and wheels and baggages as we could into one car and drive up to Chicago. Um, but that was a really cool experience, obviously, like starting out at the high performance level and going out to Colorado Springs and seeing the the training center and, and what that environment's like, what it's like to train at, at high altitude. And mm-hmm. after, you know, five, six days of the tryouts and then you go back to Illinois in the middle of corn, man, we were we were on a whole nother level coming back from a week of that training, which was really cool. And um, but it, it was neat. It was neat to see other players from other colleges trying out as well. And it's, um, it's really neat to see them in like the same team spotlight rather than being like a rival on the court Mm -hmm. and also seeing how their training differs and offers different opportunities for, um, advantages or making up for disadvantages of other players to kind of really come together as a, a more cohesive team. Um, so I just like, I really like that aspect as well. And then, um, ended up, continue to pursue that hire and tried out for the team in 2014 for the the head men's team um, where John boy beat me out on a spot once again, and has done an excellent job representing the United States. And um, man, his, his in, in Tokyo, his, uh, his reverse layup. I was just like, no one's going to understand how impressive that was as a class one to just roll in there, do this nonchalantly and just completely own the space and as many minutes as that man played uh in tokyo and just kept going without a sub and just mm. cranked it out but um yeah ended up not making the official list but ended up going as an uh an alternate in 2014 to istanbul um so got to travel to turkey and i technically hit two different continents with turkey being split onto um Eastern Europe, but Western Asia. So depending on where we were at during the day, we were yeah. in different, but uh, really cool to, to represent the United States and actually compete and, and play in that space and be like, yeah, we, we can do this. And, and I know you've done some coaching as well. So just from a an individual perspective, uh, how do you differ with the playing versus the coaching? That's a great question. Um, I am way more lenient as a coach than I am as a player. Um, I think that's like as an internal thing that mm-hmm. as a competitive person, you're way harder on yourself than anyone else is going to be. Um, Cause you know what you're capable of. And as a coach, obviously being able to see the potential in other people and knowing that when they're being hard on themselves or we getting frustrated with something, finding ways that work with them that are going to be, productive in helping them kind of achieve those long-term goals. And um, I think that's one thing that, that frog did incredibly well was recruiting people that had high potential and being able to see their potential, not just in the athletic side of things, but just as like a person in general and what they're capable of and what their aspirations are in life and how to help facilitate those things. So um, during our, our, we had once a week video sessions and that could end up being just a session where you don't even watch video and you just talk to frog about what's going on in life. Um, and I think that actually really helped develop me in that coaching space and seeing ways that he had helped coach me. I was able to kind of reflect that back in, into my own coachings. Um, 
obviously we got to actually use that during our, our summer camps for elite camp and then the um, individual skills camp. And then through that actually met um, Shimpei, who was at the time the men's coach for the Japanese men's national team and Hiro, who was currently a, a teammate of mine at the time, graduated in 2013. Um, and they have a, a national camp called J camp and they were looking for a new international coach because they rotate that every few years for their, their representation to get new perspective, new faces into the sport, but also it's not just the same coach brought in again and again and again. And the players are like, all right, like you have this entire globe and you keep picking the same person. Um, so I think that's a really cool way to gain new, new perspectives and, and education um, into their country. And they were looking for this new person. And here I was like, Jacob's done a phenomenal job at our Illinois camps. Like I know he's young and doesn't have official coaching experience outside of that, but like you should, you should consider him. And, um, I think having Shimpei there as well to be able to see that, because oftentimes he was a, a translator for the Japanese kids that would come to elite camp. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough to go out there and get paid to go coach in Japan for 10 days. And that was 20, 2013. They didn't do it in 2014. And then went back in 2015 um, and just had a, an absolute blast there. They each of the coaches were given uh, a nickname um, or like a, a character title. Uh-huh. And some of them, um, some of them were like strong or um, I think tenacious was one. And I was like, that was a big word for a, like it, it, they're written in English too. So it's not even just like the Japanese version of that word. Um, but the, the players nominated me as fun Jake. So I have a, I have a, a headband still in my boxes that just says fun across the top of it. And I was, I was fun Jake for the week. Well, that's one probably part of being young too, right? So you're the, <laughs> you were the fun, fun coach. That's right. And, and so you, so you graduate uh, and you re- return to Roanoke, you get a, a, a job in your field in terms of information technology and, and computers at the school system. What possessed you to want to join the staff of Movie United? Yeah. So the job that I landed on uh, working in Roanoke County for the last eight years in IT was not something that I really was pursuing. It just kind of fell into my lap. Um, my brother at the time, he went to run a college and nearby, and he was the soccer coach at, at Glenver, the high school that I went to. And he had some like fundraising forms or something that needed to be turned in. And at the time I just still didn't have a job. I was living the best life and chilling on the front porch in the morning, drinking my coffee, or I'm sitting on the dock at the lake. And uh, he was like, Hey, I've got an exam is there any way you could run this up to Glimver for me? And I was just like, I mean, I literally have nothing else to do. So of course, yeah. So I went and took that up there and got to say, Hey, to some of my old teachers that were still in the area and um, my old principals and talking to them. And my principal had a son who had graduated the same year as me. And so I was asking kind of what, what his son was doing now that he had graduated and was he having difficulties finding jobs because they always wanted you to have 15 plus years experience and a bachelor's degree. And there was never a, entry for that. So you couldn't get the experience pipeline, just this vicious circle of hiring. Um, and I was like, I know I'd do great once I got an interview. I'm great with talking to people. They'd understand my background and understand where I'm coming from and the skills that I have. I just don't have the, the 
the bullet point to put on my resume that says, yes, I have 15 years of experience working in this field. Um, and he was like, I know this isn't exactly what you're looking for, but our laptop guy is leaving. Would you be interested in applying? And I was like, send me more information, but that's definitely a potential opportunity. He said, well, the thing is, is we need to move very quickly on this because we are already starting the hiring process. And I was like, all right, let me go home tonight and I'll look at it. So that was like a Thursday, went home and applied, got a call Friday for an interview on Monday and I was hired on Tuesday. <laughs> uh, so very, very quick turnaround and uh, absolutely loved working with like my old teachers and helping bring in some of the new ones. And um, that expanded from high school kids getting laptops to the middle school. And then obviously with COVID expanded all the way down to elementary schools and um, huge undertaking, obviously from a, a tech standpoint of how to go virtual for everyone. But mm -hmm. uh, the, the county had a really good foundation um, in terms of equipment, as well as our software support and being able to still adequately support our students and teachers and families during COVID and, and the remote work and hybrid work. But definitely was getting burnt out and uh, unfortunately with the position didn't have any room for vertical growth mm -hmm. um unless i wanted to become my boss's position who was like our head of it and there's 15 others of us so it's and even then i don't know how much of a boosted pay that would be and, and then also you're really not working with technology anymore you're just a director position kind of thing so um really wasn't something that I felt like I wanted to stick with for the next 20 plus years to, to try and pursue that. Um, and my girlfriend lives up in the area. And so I was like, well, if I've been able to do this Roanoke stars thing in my quote unquote free time, like what could I do if I could actually work in this space full time? And so started looking at adaptive sports jobs and trying to find things that might be remote if it's not actually in the DC, Maryland area. And of course, Moving United popped up, being with the main office in Rockville and um, originally applied for the director of people and culture position, which I was like, again, I don't have a bullet point to put on my, my resume, but like we helped start an LGBTQ plus program, um, after school program in Southwestern Virginia, which is mm -hmm. a big a big thing to kind of put out there and, and provide access to. And so, uh, obviously a person with a disability coming into the adaptive sports space in terms of the professional side as well to provide my perspective on the programming and the opportunities that we provide as an organization um, is huge. And that, I thought that was really cool that actually even during the application, it, I don't remember the exact wording, but it says like people with disabilities um, are encouraged to apply kind of thing. So Ultimately, I, I did not get that job, but uh, applied later for the training coordinator as well as the educational manager position, uh, since both of those were currently available. And then I left it up to, to Kayla and Julia to be like, you all know the ins and outs of what these job duties are. So I will respect whichever one you feel I'm a better fit for. Um, they both sounded like phenomenal positions. And then, of course, Jess being brought on as the educational manager has done an exceptional job with that. Um, so I think we both landed at the right places and loving the training coordinator position and all the access to new sports, getting to go snow ski again, um, thanks to the training grant and, um, yeah, being exposed to mountain biking and all these other outdoor sports that, you know, I've been stuck in a gym where the same temperature is 68 degrees, no matter where you're at. And, 
Um, it's it's really cool to to kind of see where the program has grown from Disabled Sports USA and Adaptive Sports USA and how Move United has brought all of that together to provide better access. And what are what are uh, some of the things that you want to accomplish and, and that you're looking forward to doing? Oh, it's a loaded question. <laughs> um, so a couple of things that I'm, I'm really passionate about with this position and with Move United's influence overall is one, the collegiate space that we were talking about and how to get that more inclusive overall mm-hmm. um, to not just a few sports, but to all adaptive sports. And a big thing that needs to happen is the NCAA um, needs to be more inclusive as a whole organization. So there's a very, very long conversation that we could have on why that has not happened yet. And some of the very large obstacles that we we face as an organization or people with disabilities to have those opportunities. Um, but I spoke on the NCAA uh, 2013 inclusion form on behalf of which are basketball players in the collegiate space to talk about our experiences and um, how to grow programs, how to get the program started at universities. And then hopefully once that took off a little bit further, which it has some, um, gives it a little bit more influence and push internally to the NCAA. But uh, we have connections through our organization that we are really looking to pursue. And I hope to be be more part of that. And then uh, a couple other things directly through my position as the training coordinator overseeing the VA training grant is getting more feedback from our member organizations on what training opportunities they're looking for on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, Historically, it's been more of a higher organization feeding down what we think the United States as a whole needs as for adaptive sports opportunities, um, which is great. And I still think that needs to be a very large continued opportunity, but getting feedback from those organizations that are looking to um, maybe they only offer adaptive alpine skiing currently, but they're looking to offer snowboarding. How can we write into the training grant to do a training specifically for adaptive snowboarding instructors to offer those expansion and opportunities? So things like that, getting opportunities out there um, so the community knows what's available, what funding's available. And ultimately, my, my position, since it is the VA training grant, is to better the lives of our our veterans and active service members. So as long as we can, at the end of the day, say that these people are are getting access and inclusion to greater adaptive sports, then we can do that. So um, that's one one big thing. And the other thing that I'm personally trying to bring to this is seeing more people with disabilities included in the instruction space. So it's not too difficult for a wheelchair basketball player to become a wheelchair basketball coach. It's a pretty easy pipeline. Um, however, it's not so easy to see somebody who is a mountain biker to then become a mountain bike instructor. You don't see that very often. So finding those adaptive sports that there's the disconnect in having the representation in the instruction side of things um, and finding ways that either the curriculum just doesn't allow for it. It's not a, an adaptive and inclusive curriculum. Well, how do we change that? How do we get those certifying bodies to be more inclusive in their language, in their education, in their instruction. So um, we're making progress. We're, we're, we've done great with our education conference that we finished this year. And um, some there's some new opportunities at Ski Spec this, this winter as well that um, we're definitely seeing more, more applicants get involved in, in our education opportunities. So. Well, I think uh, 
one, I think you bring a lot to the team. So, so thank you for your, your contributions and, that you've made and you're going to continue to make. And one, I love, and the other thing is I love that. I think it'd be an interesting conversation to have maybe on a future podcast about uh, NCAA and, uh, and, and that whole conversation. So that, that, that that's a great topic to, to, and a, a great can to open if you can of worms to open. <laughs> Absolutely. Anything else you'd like to share, Jacob? I think that's it. Um, on behalf of me and my position, uh, the fiscal year 2024, so not this one starting in October, but the following one, um, keep an eye out for our applications opening up um, around February. So we'll be putting that information out. So if there's any training that you're looking for for your programming or thing needs to come to existing programs, Feel free to reach out to me. I'm jtyree at movingunitedsport.org.